Well, let's turn now to the Word of God and let's go together to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, in our series of messages through the Lord's parables in Luke's gospel. In fact, today we're taking on two short parables that have the same ultimate point. We're going to see the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of leaven, both of these pointing to the reality of the kingdom of God. Now, here's the question that I'm going to ask you now, and then I'm going to ask you at the end of this message, and it's this, are you in the kingdom of God? I hope you'll be impressed with the kingdom of God. I hope you'll admire the kingdom of God. But ultimately, this comes to the point of you deciding that you need to be in the kingdom of God through Christ. Now, the word kingdom is not a word we often use in our everyday language. We typically use words like governments or countries or regimes or even empires. But when we look out into the world, however you define them, we see that the world is divided up into various kingdoms. And these different kingdoms or countries have their own set of values and they'd be quite different. In fact, right now in these days, we're seeing a very violent clash of kingdoms in the world. We see the the Soviet, well, former Soviet, now Russian empire trying to dominate a neighboring country of Ukraine. And it's quite tragic. And so just millions of people suffering during these days. In fact, this morning before coming, you know, I have different news apps I look at and some of them send me notifications. And there was just another notification before leaving this morning. I just couldn't look at it. I thought I can't see any more bad news at this moment because it's just so tragic. Think of it, millions of people suffering inside Ukraine. I hope you'll remember with me that millions of people also suffering inside of Russia. They have nothing to do with this and they're suffering where they are. It's just very difficult. So even before we get to the parables, can I just call upon you again to pray in these days for all the people suffering because of what's happening there that that the leader of Russia is doing. So pray for the millions impacting there in Ukraine and the, the innocent people within Russia. But also it's a time where we can give. We just talked about giving to North American missions, but at the same time, there's an opportunity to give to what we call Send Relief. So sendrelief.org is where you can go for more information on, on how we can help to give there. Our website has links to that as well, how you can give and help there. Dr. Paul Chitwood, one of our members, the president of the International Mission Board, just got back from that Poland-Ukraine border. And there are even videos up on those two websites on imb.org and Send Relief, where you can see just reporting of what God's people are doing to try to help the people suffering there. So pray and give toward alleviating suffering there. But another way you can pray is to pray for Vladimir Putin, the leader of Russia. Pray that God would bring a change of mind to him, a change of heart to him. And here's a man driven by all the wrong impulses, it appears to us, driven by the desire for absolute power, having ruled Russia now for 20 years and no real opposition even allowed to that. Driven by personal greed. I read where his personal worth is $100 billion. Can you imagine that? You're leading a nation. How do you get that wealthy? Something's off there, $100 billion. His personal ego, these grand aspirations for himself and the Russian empire, and of course, a man of violence, violent against his own people and violent against, of course, neighboring people. But I'm asking you, would you pray for him for a change of heart to him? And I know you think, well, that's, that's impossible. And I agree, it's, it's be a miracle. It's what we're asking for is a miracle. But God can do this kind of thing. Do you remember that Saul, the one we call Paul, was on his way to destroy Christians on the Damascus road when Jesus invaded him? 
when Jesus changed everything about him and so much of our New Testament written by a man who was a violent persecutor of the church, God can change lives. And if you're thinking, how do I pray? I'm just so grieved. Among the things to pray for, pray for a change of heart. Pray for the salvation of Vladimir Putin. But today we're going to talk about the kingdom of God and the ultimate kingdom. When all the other kingdoms of earth fall and fade away. This is the one kingdom that matters. This is the one kingdom that will last. And again, I urge you along with Jesus, be in the kingdom of God. Make sure that by the time we leave here, in fact, don't wait till then. Right now, repent and trust in Jesus. Be a part of the eternal kingdom of God. But Jesus is going to give us two parables to describe this kingdom for us. Luke 13, verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The first thing we should note here is this, that God has a kingdom. God has a kingdom. Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God. It's kind of how he came out in his ministry talking about the kingdom of God. Some have said this is really the central theme of all of Jesus's teaching, the kingdom of God. Here's an example, Mark 1, verse 14. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what is the kingdom of God that Jesus talks so much about? We can't see it like we see some other nations with their national boundaries. So what is the kingdom of God? One scholar defined it this way. The kingdom of God is God's divine reign or rule. And it's the sphere of blessing in which that reign is experienced. So from Jesus's many teachings on the kingdom, we come to understanding of hey, what this kingdom is like. First of all, it's a kingdom from above. It's a kingdom not of this world, Jesus said, meaning it's not derived by any human authority. This is, this is coming from above. This kingdom is everywhere and in everyone who is letting Jesus rule and reign in them. And this kingdom operates by radically different values than any other kingdom that we know. Here are some of the defining marks of the kingdom of God. This is a kingdom marked by righteousness and love. Do you know another kingdom that's like that? This is the kind of thing Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a kingdom marked by righteousness and love. Also a kingdom marked by wholehearted devotion to God. In this kingdom, if you're one of the subjects in the kingdom of God, then you desire to have a sincere love for other people. In this kingdom, our values are very different. When we're offended, do you remember what Jesus said we're to do? We're to turn the other cheek when we're offended. We're not those on the earth who seek to retaliate. Jesus said the people in his kingdom were to be peacemakers on the earth, that we're to walk in holiness of mind and body and his people in the kingdom of God were to function as salt and light on the earth. And this is indeed the only kingdom that will survive at the very end. This is the kingdom we get to be part of. And it's a reminder, you and I have a king. So now we come to these two parables and Jesus says, I want to tell you what the kingdom of God is like. And the first thing we'll notice here, Jesus describes the power and the growth of God's kingdom. See with me the power and the growth 
of God's kingdom. Let's go back into verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And you and I are totally underwhelmed by that statement. That is not an impressive way to talk about something as amazing as the kingdom of God. We would have picked some other metaphor. Hey, let's talk about something mighty. Let's talk about something impressive. Well, this is impressive, but just not how we would have expected it. So not immediately impressive, but here we know about the mustard seed. We know this, it is among the tiniest of the seeds out there. Certainly to the hearers of Jesus hearing this the first time there in the Middle East in the first century, it would have been the smallest seed any of them had any familiarity with. So I've read that the orchid seed's even smaller, but nobody in the Middle East would have seen an orchid. That's more Asia, more Philippines and all that. But we're talking about a mustard seed. Here's how small it is. In, in its diameter, two millimeters wide. That's a very tiny seed. Yet that two millimeter wide little seed can grow over time into a 20 foot tree. 20 feet tall. They also tell us 20 feet wide with the branches and its leaves. It's really amazing, isn't it? I mean, you think about any of these seeds, it's quite amazing what that tiny seed can do. But here Jesus said, this is what the kingdom is like. It's this tiny seed that can have then a massive growth from it. So the point here, just as a tiny, unimpressive seed is planted and eventually becomes a large tree that becomes home to all kinds of birds, so is the kingdom of God on the earth. Jesus is making the point that things are going to begin very humbly, very small in the kingdom, but it's going to get much bigger, much grander than how it began. And doesn't this help us understand how humbly Jesus did come and all that he had in mind, even with his coming. So we think about Jesus. When he came, he came to a humble couple, Mary and Joseph. You don't get more ordinary than them. He was born in an ordinary, humble town there in Bethlehem. First bed, as you know, was a manger, a feeding trough. And then when Jesus began his ministry and started calling his first disciples, these were very humble, ordinary, even flawed people. And then we see his ministry. He goes through all this rejection. And then he goes to a cross where he's going to die the death of a criminal. How humiliating is that? And so this is what Jesus is saying. This is going to start very tiny. This is going to start unimpressive. But listen, the cross wasn't the end of the story. You and I know that. We have this vantage point looking back and we know after his death on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And then when he ascended to heaven, he gave the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And yes, they struggled, but they also victoriously took the gospel to their part of the world. And so it's amazing what he's done. And even now, as we see the gospel going out, we're told eventually people from every tribe, tongue and nation will be around the throne worshiping the Lord. But it started so humbly. And here, this imagery of birds coming and making their nest there is an Old Testament reference. We see it in Ezekiel and Daniel of, of people from other nations, not just the Jewish people, but others who will believe who will come into this kingdom of God. So Jesus said, here's the kingdom. God has a kingdom. Here's what it's like. It's like a mustard seed that becomes a great tree. But now he shifts and gives us a second quick parable. And it's about how the kingdom of God is like leaven. And we see here an overlapping of points here. From this one, we also see the power of the kingdom, but also the influence of God's kingdom. See with me the power and influence of God's kingdom. Verse 20. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven 
that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The kingdom of God is like leaven. Echoes much of the same point we just saw, but he shifts the mental picture. So leaven, like yeast, is a small substance that has a huge impact in what it touches. So yeast and other leavening agents permeate and they create, create a dramatic difference. So this woman put a little bit of leaven in and we're told with these, these measures here, if we put it in our terms, it would be the equivalent of 50 to 60 pounds of flour. That's a lot of bread she had in mind to bake. 50 to 60 pounds. And Jesus said, you put in leaven and that leaven spread throughout the whole. In other words, leaven is one of those things that cannot be contained. When we lived overseas years ago now, uh, Joy would bake homemade bread. Now, we lived in Central Asia. They actually had great bread. It was flat bread on the bottom, rounded on the top, so good to eat. You, just would, you could just consume that bread. But if you wanted to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, that hard bread exterior, that's not going to work. Or if you want to make some other dish that was familiar, comfort food for us, Joy would bake bread from scratch. And I remember just watching that. I didn't see a lot of homemade bread being baked when I was growing up. But to see that yeast go in and how it would rise. And, and now the end result of that, something that was really soft and enjoyable and, and like home for us. And so that's, that's how wonderful that yeast does. It does an amazing thing. Gets through the hole, makes a big difference. Now, if that word leaven is familiar to you, biblically, we know that really most of the time in the Bible, when leaven is brought up, it's used as a negative analogy. In other words, when we often see leaven brought up by one of the biblical writers, they're talking about how something like sin or error can spread throughout an entire person or spread throughout an entire church. And so we're warned about sin and error like that. By the way, you probably have personal experience with that. Where at some time in your life, you thought, you know, I'm going to start dabbling in some sin here. I know I should be fully devoted to Christ, but ah, there's some temptations here. I'm just going to make an accommodation for this one area of disobedience here, and I'm going to keep it contained. And all of us have learned you can't keep it contained. This infects all of you, your attitude, your heart, your thinking, your perspective, your usefulness, all that's impacted. Even if you think I'm going to contain it, you can't contain it. What a great biblical analogy. Leaven spreads and whole churches can be ruined if they become accommodating. We're just going to tolerate this error, this sin. It can mess up the whole church. So that's why Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, when there was gross sexual immorality in the church there in Corinth, listen, he brings up leaven here as a negative. So this is 1 Corinthians 5. He said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Then he goes on to say this. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So leaven, what a great analogy of something negative, something bad can spread. But here Jesus takes that same leaven, a fine substance, and he shifts it and says, hey, the kingdom of God is like that. It also is powerful and it's influential and it has an impact. It spreads. And so you and I are part of that kingdom and this is the impact we're to have on the earth. I love this as Jesus describes it as leaven. It gives you the idea that, that the kingdom of God actually can move about and have its influence even by stealth. 
Even when it might look like nothing's happening, I can't see it on the surface, God's work is still going on. Do you know this, that the kingdom of God is present in many nations where the kingdom of God is not allowed? Where they don't officially allow missionaries to come in? Did you know that the gospel's still there? It's wonderful. So there it is. They might have their borders. They might have their laws. And yet here's the kingdom of God moving like yeast, moving like leaven into this area and having an impact. Here's a reminder. The kingdom of God cannot be stopped. The kingdom of God crosses borders and people are coming to Christ on every continent, every nation on earth. Did you know that you have brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia? And the gospel got there, not just in recent days, but even in the old Iron Curtain days, the former Soviet Union, there were people who were risking all to get the gospel there and churches there and believers there to this day, others, others in these days sharing the gospel there within Russia. So you have brothers and sisters there. And also in Ukraine, you have many brothers and sisters. That's why we're praying for believers inside both of these countries as both of these peoples are suffering in these days. Did you know that you have millions of brothers and sisters in China? Officially, this is not allowed. And yet here we have house churches and people sharing the gospel. There have been going on for decades, but also in Taiwan, a country we're concerned about in these days. How about Iran? Did you know you have thousands and thousands of brothers and sisters who are in Iran or part of that Iranian diaspora around the world? Many Iranians have come to faith in Jesus. We're just talking about how this kingdom spreads, cannot be contained. Places like Iraq, places like India, in Pakistan, Afghanistan, as we know, believers there and among the Afghans who have been scattered around the world. There are believers among them. This kingdom of God cannot be contained. And how about this one? I think maybe one of the worst examples of a place where you'd be a Christian is North Korea. And, and we think, but there are believers. We get reports of believers there at great risk to themselves, even though there are all kinds of persecutions and rules against it and laws and, and martyrdom. Here, this kingdom of God, like leaven, it's spreading through the hold. And listen, it's not even done yet. We've just seen it up to this point, but the kingdom of God is going to get larger and larger. The kingdom of God is going to impact an increasing number of people spreading like leaven. And there's more to come. The kingdom hasn't culminated yet. Again, that vision we have from the book of Revelation, there will be representatives from every people group on earth, eventually now in the kingdom of God, worshiping around the throne. So the mustard tree still growing. And the leaven is still spreading, and this should give you great confidence. Again, this morning, just processing all this, this week, meditating on this passage. And one of the ways this passage has been so encouraging to me, it just, it just speaks to the confidence you and I should have in the gospel, in the very kingdom of God. And so I want to encourage you, don't be one who loses patience. You think, I, I want to see more happen in the world. There should be more righteousness. Hey, be patient. He said, this is going to start small and it's going to grow large and hasn't it and be confident in this gospel cannot be stopped. So be confident, be bold, keep seeking this kingdom, keep spreading this kingdom, keep sharing the gospel, keep making disciples. This kingdom is moving forward and you get to be a part of it. This might be a word for you. Maybe you're in school and you feel like I'm, I'm one of the only Christians I know where I go to school. What difference could I make here? Hey, this, this parable is good for you. It might seem unimpressive what I can do, but here I represent Christ and I have this life-changing gospel. That's all I have. But I have the spirit of God in me. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. This can't be stopped. And so I'm just going to do what I can do. I'm just going to be faithful to Christ where I am. Maybe where you work or where you play, you have an opportunity to be used by God. Now think how prophetic 
Jesus' words were. You can think about the time when he said this. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. Hasn't been the resurrection yet. Hasn't been Pentecost yet. But Jesus says this is going to start in an unimpressive way. Tiny seed, little bit of leaven, but it's going to be great. Now we have these 2,000 years and we look back. It's exactly like he said. Started so humbly, but it is glorious and so wonderful that you and I get to be a part of it. And then now to where I told you we were going to go with this. This question. Are you sure you're in the kingdom of God? In fact, I want to exhort you along with Christ here. Be sure you are in the kingdom of God. And I want you to see this with me now. Luke 13, now verse 22. Hear the force of these words from our Savior. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. I want you to hear with me, Jesus urging people to enter into the kingdom before it's too late. Do you hear in these words, the love of God? Do you hear in these words, his invitation for you to come to him? Notice here, there's a wide invitation to enter through what he calls a narrow door. So what is that narrow door into the kingdom of God? That narrow door is Jesus himself. And Jesus always spoke this way. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, in the book of Matthew, Jesus talked about that narrow gate and that narrow way that leads life and how few find it. That narrow gate is Jesus. This narrow door is Jesus. Jesus spoke like this all the time. John 10, 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Or John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter preached that same message in Acts 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's, a, that's quite a statement. No other name on earth, all the billions of names, none of those names can save you. There's just one name under heaven where you can be saved. It's through the name of Jesus. It's a narrow door, but a wide invitation for you to come into the kingdom through that door. But notice this, a narrow door, but Jesus says, and there's limited time. A narrow door, but a limited time to enter. So God has given you an invitation right now to repent of your sins and to trust in Jesus, come into his kingdom. 
So beautifully described as coming to the table and reclining at the table with these people. You could do it. But understand, it's not an unlimited invitation in that you can just put it off and that invitation will always be available to you. You're not guaranteed that. What if I invited you to dinner and, uh, and you said, I, I can't make it. But then six years later, you just show up at my door for dinner. I'd be nice to you, but I'd be perplexed. I'll say, what are, you, what are you here for? Good, good to see you. What are you here for? Well, for dinner. Six years ago, you invited me to dinner. Oh, you're coming, you're coming today. Well, maybe we can scrounge up some crackers and things. We'll, we'll do something here. But that would be odd. I'd be thinking, now that was an invitation then. I, I didn't know that was going to be here. Years ago, one of my most embarrassing moments was when we were living in Memphis for seminary before we had any of our children. I was a singles minister intern as one of my jobs there uh, in seminary. And uh, one of the families in that church invited us to come to dinner one night. Unfortunately, I did not write down that wonderful invitation. It was almost like as quickly as I was invited, I forgot about it. It was a busy time in life. I didn't write it on a calendar. I didn't write it down anywhere. So really totally forgot the invitation that I agreed to the night we were going to go for dinner. Well, it just so turns out that the day came that I had totally forgotten. We're supposed to have dinner at their house. And uh, I was invited to go fishing by one of the singles in the singles ministry. I said, okay, I'll go with you. I hadn't fished in many years. By the way, I don't think I fished since this day. And so I go with him. I'm at some dumb stream fishing with this guy and the time of the dinner came and went. I'm oblivious. There are no cell phones in these days. I'm just out there trying to fish. Poor Joy, she's home at the apartment when the phone rings. This family's around the table and they have a question. Hey, where are you guys? And Joy had to take that call. Oh, oh, that's tonight. Oh, and uh, well, Jim is out fishing and uh, I can't really reach him. It was terrible. So I didn't know any of this until I got home many hours later. And Joy said, Jim, we, we totally forgot to go to their house for dinner. And they were already, dinner was ready. They were, they were called. So I think that's why I remember it so well. It was so mortifying. I mean, it's such an embarrassing thing to just stand somebody up and all the food's there. Here's how sweet that family was. They, they said when I called them when I finally got home, hey, I'm so, so sorry. I can't believe we did this. I'm so sorry. They were so gracious. Well, that's okay. How about next week? Would you come have dinner with us next week? Well, that was amazing. And we had a, we had a great time with them. But let's just for a moment imagine, what if I stood them up the second time? <laughs> what if that time had been intentional? Ah, we just didn't feel like coming. That's why we didn't come. Do you think I'd get another invitation? I don't think so. Now, our Lord is so much more gracious than us. Don't, many of us could say in our testimonies, I, I feel like he gave me hundreds of opportunities to come into his family. But listen, we, that shouldn't cause us to be presumptuous. We should never have the mindset, oh, I'll get around to it. One day I'll repent and believe in Jesus. One day I'll turn my life over to Christ and respond to his great offer because I really do want to be in his kingdom before I die one day. Uh, that's presumptuous. That's not what we're told here. Jesus is very strong in his wording here. Notice here how wonderful it is to be inside the kingdom, but how awful to be shut out. How wonderful because we see here inside the kingdom, there are people of great faith from the old covenant. Men like he lists them, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says, and all the prophets are going to be reclining at that table in the kingdom. And, and I love it. We who are Gentiles, by the way, we do have some Jewish Christians in the church. How wonderful. But most of us overwhelmingly are non-Jewish. We're, we're Gentiles. But even we're told here, we're going to be a part of this. Verse 29, and people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. So through faith in Jesus, the, the Jewish Messiah, we get to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's going to be wonderful. And so we get to be there. 
But Jesus here talks so starkly about what it will be for those who've rejected Christ, who they're going to be the outside banging, wishing they could come in. And I know we just read it, but I, I hope you'll bear with me. I want you to hear again the force of Jesus's words that I pray God will use to draw some of you to put your faith in Jesus today. It's urgent. You can't put it off. Again, verse 24, Jesus, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek and not be able to enter. Once, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and taught in your streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And I don't want that to be anybody here on that day of judgment. I wouldn't want anybody to say, but Lord, I, I used to attend Staples Mill Road Baptist Church. I, I used to come. I, I even went on some of the trips with the church. I, I just did stuff there. But if you've never repented of your sin and put all of your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're one who's not, you haven't entered through the narrow door and how tragic to be cast out in that moment. So let me ask, what kingdom are you a part of? Are you a part of the kingdom of this world? And that's reflected in your life with, with the values of things you're chasing. Is that, is that your kingdom? Or have you sometime, have you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus and now part of the kingdom of God? Jesus died for you on the cross. Jesus was raised from the dead. And in great love, he is inviting you to lay everything else down and to put your faith in him that you might be saved. The, the move is, and Jesus says it over and over again, repent. Repent and believe and become a part of his amazing kingdom. And if you do, this is what will be true of you. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Oh, that's what Jesus does. Takes you out of this kingdom of death and dysfunction and darkness and brings you into the kingdom of his son. Again, a kingdom characterized by righteousness and love. And then one final word of encouragement for you is this. In all this time where, when our world is in such trouble, in all this talk of war and possible expanding war, it's very unnerving. But to be reminded, if you are in Christ, you are part of what the scripture says, you're part of an unshakable kingdom. Here's a word of confidence as well. This is Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Pray with me.